0: Thanks for downloading Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth. I'm John Worsey, and this time we meet a researcher who could change how we see our world forever. We're exploring the mind-stretching theory that there's a fifth form of matter, and it's all around us. Yep, that's solids, liquids, gases, plasma, and another thing. If you're looking around the room and you're scratching your head already, listen on. Dr. Melvin Vopson thinks he might have the answer.
1: That eureka moment when you write down something that nobody else wrote before in the world, ever. It's exactly the same feeling that somebody had when they walked on Everest at the peak and said, I'm the first to do this. It's our little Everest moment and it's a nice feeling when you do this.
0: Dr. Vobson is a senior lecturer in physics at the University of Portsmouth, and he stumbled upon the theory of a fifth form of matter completely by accident while conducting experiments in a different area. A new form would need to exist without interrupting what we already know. And Melvin believes not only that his theory does exactly that, but that it could be potentially life-changing for us all. So, here's the big reveal. It's INFORMATION. Let's find out how the theory works. The problem for many of us is that whilst we understand the current definitions of matter, and we also know what information is, it's quite a journey to connect them. So let's start with the basics. What does Melvin mean when he talks about the fifth form of matter?
1: He goes back to a study published in 2019, reporting a equivalence principle between energy, mass and information. And in this study I hypothesized the possibility that information itself is a form of matter and it might be the fifth element, possibly the missing bits in the universe, things like dark matter and other unknown components.
0: Ah, the fifth element. I've seen the movie. Dark matter though, that's a little more elusive.
1: The entire universe is made up of three big things. About 5% of the universe is made of the ordinary matter, things that we can see, touch, and is experienced around us all the time. And then the majority of the universe, 95%, is made up uh, about 68% of something called dark energy, and about 27% is made up of dark matter. Dark is another metaphor for things that we can't really see, we can't really detect. We know they are there, but we don't know what they are.
0: And don't worry if your brain is hurting already, because scientists have been trying to wrap their heads around this concept for decades. In fact, the roots of this research can be found in the 1940s, when a scientist called Claude Shannon proposed that data should be measured in bits, those values of zero or one. And whilst Shannon is known sometimes as the father of the information age, another scientist, Rolf Launder, was combining the laws of thermodynamics with information theory. His conclusion? Information is another form of energy. But it was the development of computers in the 1960s that created a turning point. Melvin explains. A
1: computing device or an information processing device or an information storage device Yes, it deals with digital states and information states, but it's a physical system that is part of the universe itself, is not isolated, and because of that, it has to obey the laws of physics. We know from thermodynamics, for example, that an irreversible process dissipates heat, and he was the first to suggest that logical irreversibility, in other words, computing processes which are irreversible, should behave just like thermodynamic processes, so they should dissipate heat. One example of a logical irreversible process is the erasure of a bit of information, of a memory state of information on a computing device or memory device. He worked out that being a dissipative process, it needs to dissipate some energy. So, where is that energy coming from? And then he was the first to suggest that maybe the information itself carries some energy. It's a form of energy. My work was to extrapolate that to include mass in the equation, but this has been. Theorized in the 60s. And uh, I'm pleased to tell you that there are very recent articles published in Nature and Science confirming experimentally Landauer's principle. This is no longer a theoretical principle.
0: So, when you're pressing the delete key on your home computer, just think you're already potentially playing with the fifth form of matter. But let's not contain our thinking to a humble laptop. Melvin suggests the entire universe is teeming with information.
1: There is inherent information in the universe itself. And what I mean by that is, if you look at laws of physics, for example, this is information. Are they written somewhere? We know there are laws of physics that make the universe function. And they are the same here or in a different galaxy or at the edge of the universe. They are absolutely uniform and the same. Particles, elementary particles, they are all behaving following a matrix, following a set of rules, if you want. And this is an idea that there is certainly some form of information, an underlayer to this observable universe that puts everything into motion, if you want, or that organizes everything. In addition to that, we are also shaping up our own planet and our own society by developing these advanced technologies, digital technologies, artificial intelligence, Computing technologies, all these things function on information, more specifically digital information. But there are other forms of information. It's all to do with this probabilistic nature of things.
0: You'll notice that Melvin's thrown in a new term there, the probabilistic nature of things. Sounds like an existential novel, doesn't it? But if you want to understand what it means, Melvin has a helpful analogy. Have you heard of Schrödinger's cat? the famous thought experiment involving a cat in a box?
1: The box has a poisonous material in there that will be released at a random time. The box has no windows, no viewing points, and the cat is in there. Is the cat alive or dead? You would not know that unless you look at the box. But from an information point of view, you would have two possible states. So the probability is 50-50. And by observing the cat, you extract one bit of information only, because there are only two possible states, either dead or alive. And it's this probabilistic nature of everything around us, events around us and everything else, that generates the information. And this is measured in units of bits to keep it in the framework of Shannon. But the beauty is everything can be reduced to this probabilistic thing, everything.
0: If a tree falls in a wood, ah, never mind. And enough of cats in boxes, too, because we need to think outside of that box to really understand the exciting developments in the concept of a fifth form of matter that have taken place over the last decade.
1: Professor Seth Lloyd from MIT published studies revolving around the idea of a computational universe. So in his view, the whole universe is a giant computer, and he thinks he computes itself A few other guys, for example, Nick Bostrom from Oxford University. He's not a physicist, but he's into philosophy and science. And he came up with the concept of simulation hypothesis, that the whole universe might be actually a simulation, not just a giant computer, but a simulation. These are just a few names, but it's a growing community out there that are looking seriously at the possibility that the information is more fundamental to everything than we think.
0: And with the likes of The Matrix films on our cinema screens, this is an idea we're probably all familiar with. But how do you make the shift from science fiction to science fact? Melvin says the work is going on in the real world to prove his hypothesis, although it's not without its problems.
1: The problem with this experiment is that it hinges on two concepts. One is that the information has mass, and the second concept is a... Analogy to biological information. Let's take yourself. Everything about you is copied and contained, all the information about you, all your characteristics in any cell, in any little part of your body. All that information is copied and stored in your cells. So, in other words, the cells store information about themselves in themselves and about your entire system, your entire body. So what if this concept can be applied to ordinary matter? What if an elementary particle, which has specific characteristics, just like you, have specific characteristics, your looks and body shape and different human characteristics, what if an elementary particle that has specific characteristics and differ to each other by specific, we know, properties, what if these properties are also embedded in the particles themselves? As information, what is this information is actually written in the particles. And then if you bring in the idea of mass energy information equivalence principle, as in information has mass, then maybe this information as mass is hidden in the particles. So the experiment does exactly that. It proposes a way of extracting this information or proving that it's there. So how do you do that? You can't measure the mass of that. It's too small. We don't have the means to actually measure that kind of sensitivity.
0: So we can't measure it, but we do have the means to do something else to help quantify the mass of information.
1: We can delete it. We can just erase that information from the particles and then we look at what comes out after the erasure process. So what is emitted after the erasure? This is because everything has to conserve. Energy, mass, information, everything is a conserved Wanted. You can't make anything to disappear in the universe. You can only transform something into something, but you cannot make it disappear. Once it's there, you cannot make anything and you cannot make anything disappear. What is there is there. From the beginning of time, it's only transforming into different states of matter or different uh, forms of energy, but you can't do anything else.
0: Remember your first law of thermodynamics? Let me get the school science books out. Energy can't be created or destroyed only converted from one form to another. But in this theoretical experiment, how would you actually erase information from a particle anyway, regardless of whether that particle is part of a living thing or an object?
1: We are very lucky to have a process in physics called matter-antimatter annihilation. This essentially is when you collide a particle of matter with a particle of antimatter. This is a real science, it's not science fiction. We do this routinely in the lab, and the most common one is to annihilate an electron with its antiparticle, which is a positron. When you collide electron and positron, they erase themselves.
0: You might have heard of CERN's Large Hadron Collider. In here, they can collide particles at near light speed to find out more about how matter behaves and how the universe originated. But instead of colliding protons to create new particles, Melvin's talking about colliding electrons and their opposites. Positrons are basically like electrons but with a positive charge, and they collide and cancel each other out.
1: They disappear from existence, basically, but they can't disappear entirely. They need to just transform into something else. So their entire mass at this annihilation process transfers into two high-energy gamma photons If my theory is correct, then when you do this, something else should come out. Not just the gamma photons that we know about, but the information needs to be conserved somehow into some other particles. So the only thing that we need to do is to actually perform this routine experiment and add some extra detectors in addition to the gamma detectors and look at these infrared photons coming in a synchronized way they should be exactly emitted at the same time to the gammas. So that's the first signature. They are not just random infrared photons coming. Infrared is just heat. It's just thermal photons. You feel them from your fireplace, from your radiator. But these are not just infrared photons. They should be emitted at exactly the same time with the gammas. And they have another specific property. They should shift their energy as you change the temperature of your experiment. So these two signatures ensure that if these are detected we know for sure they are coming from information states inside the particles. And that would be a true Eureka moment.
0: The good news? It looks possible that this Eureka moment could be reached with existing technology and a comparatively small budget.
1: It's not very difficult. It's not very expensive. You don't need large Hadron colliders. In fact, you need exactly the opposite. You need to lower the energy of these positron beams to extremely low energies, almost like thermal energies, to make sure you don't, generate additional, because of the kinetic energies, you don't generate additional things which are artifacts, and you don't want them. You need to make sure you annihilate and you get only gammas and possibly the infrareds with specific signatures. So you actually need a workbench type of experiment where you slow down intentionally these positrons to thermal energies and carefully add all the detection modules and everything. It's a very achievable experiment. It's not very expensive and it's not very difficult
0: either. If Melvin's theory were to be proved correct, he thinks the impact would be felt way beyond the world of science and physics.
1: In physics, it will impact things like cosmology, quantum mechanics, all branches of physics and sciences. They will be impacted without displacing anything we do at the moment, without disproving anything we do, without negating any of the sciences or violating any of the existing laws. It's just adding another component to everything we know and everything we do, just like quantum mechanics added to classical mechanics or relativity added to classical mechanics and so on and so on. The first things that come from my mind is the philosophical implications and if you want, going back to this idea of a simulation hypothesis of the universe, if there is a sub-layer to our reality, this information system that is the machine that runs the universe, is the thing that generates the laws of physics and is the thing that labels everything and organizes everything, the implication would be that there is a simulation, and the implication of that would be that there is a creator.
0: Wait a second.
1: What? You can extrapolate a bit beyond that to say that all this never-ending debate between creation, evolution, science, religion, idealism, materialism—it's it's it's over because it will mean they are both right. There is no winner here. Absolutely, these two philosophical ideas, these two ideologies—if you want scientific avenues for research and everything, they're both correct. It means that at some point there is a creation process followed by an evolution. It means that idealism is true, but materialism is also true. And it means that materialism emerges from idealism. I mean, it's, it's just incredible, incredible.
0: Well, that would tidy things up nicely, I guess. Mind blown. The fifth form of matter hypothesis is certainly a bold claim. But if Melvin and those physicists before him are proven correct, this could bring scientists, philosophers and theologians together in a way never achieved in the course of human history. We've just scratched the surface of this brilliant field of theory in this podcast episode, and yet the possibility that such a revelation could come within our lifetime is so exciting. It would mean a completely transformed perspective on the way we see things today. And I thought resetting my thermostat was complicated. Thanks for joining us for Life Solved. If you want to find out more about research at the University of Portsmouth, go to the website port.ac.uk. We'll be back next Thursday with another story of how work that's happening here is changing all of our lives for good. Catch you then.